Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. It's a special episode. And not just because we have two sets of topics here, or two sets of guests, I should say. First, myself and Kyle Anderson talking all things NBA Finals and Giannis's epic performance. What's next for the Phoenix Suns? And then we also got... The baseball guys, the designated hitters, Alec Argento and Andrew Kalanya talking Yankees, Mets, and the second half of this MLB season where there's some hope, maybe some more than others, as uh, it's a little glim here and there for the Mets fans and a little bit for the Yankees fans, but there is ways to get to success for these two franchises, so we'll see how we're all feeling about that in a moment, but it was a great time for me to sit here by myself and talk with you guys about something more specific. Something I don't do very often. But this day right here, July 22nd, is actually the one-year anniversary of Subway Sports Talk. The first ever Subway Sports Talk episode was released one year ago today. That's really exciting for me. I've been doing a podcast for, I don't know, four years now, so... It's been a while. This isn't the first one-year mark of me doing a podcast, but this one's a little special. Subway Sports Talk was the rebrand I wanted to do for a long time, and finally, amid pandemic last year, amid uncertainty in all three major sports that we talk about most, we launched, and it was successful, and I'm proud to sit here today still doing the podcast. So the first place to start is by saying thank you. I mean, it really blows my mind every single time I post an episode to see people listening to it, you know, let alone in the past four years, now even more so in this past year where we're getting more listeners than ever. And it's not something I talk about very frequently, but this one-year anniversary of Subway Sports Talk felt like a great time to sit back and say thank you to everybody who listens, everybody who reaches out. It really does mean so much to me. Over the past year, we had a NBA Finals in a bubble with no fans, We had a 60-game baseball season. We had an NFL season with no fans for almost the entire thing. But we we pushed through. We felt normal talking about sports. And hopefully Subway Sports Talk could have delivered some normalcy to you guys, the listener. So over the past year, we've done over 70 episodes of Subway Sports Talk. And we've had 15,000 listeners. Now... You could do the math if you want. It's like 200 people every episode. I don't, I don't like to share my numbers. Some people may hear 200. They may be, wow, that's awesome, bro. Good for you. Some people may hear 200 and be like, that's it? Come on, man. You got to do better than that. I don't know where you land in that. I know where I land, and I know how hard it is to get people to listen to something, especially when you're not coming from ESPN or The Ringer or Barstool Sports, whatever it may be. So to express that gratitude, it's impossible to truly put that into words. But every single person who clicks this, I'm in awe every time to say thank you. I could never do it enough. 
So I wanted to take this chance right here to say thank you to everybody who listens. It means a lot. It really, really does. And I hope we are only growing from here on out. Another set of thank yous go to my guys, my co-hosts, my partners in crime here for Subway Sports Talk. And that runs deep. We got crews for all main sports. We got the designated hitters who you're going to hear in a minute. They were on the first episode of Subway Sports Talk. Alec Argento, who's been doing the podcast with me for years now. Andrew Kalanya is racking up years as well. Those guys are fantastic talking baseball. We got the basketball guys, the NBA outsiders. That's Kyle Anderson, who's on the episode in a few moments. Then, of course, OGs, John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani, throw in some Andrew Duffy action, and we got ourselves a starting five. And, of course, we had so much fun in football season last year taking in some newcomers to my podcast world. That includes Pat Boyle, who's been fantastic, my guys, Coach Rocco Del Puri, and Christopher Mule. Now, obviously, there's other people who have been on as uh, guests and interviewers, interviewees, I should say, and big thank you to all of them as well. Now, I don't want to harp on for too long, but it's the one-year anniversary, man. It feels good, and I feel like we have only scratched the surface. I think I can do a lot better in promoting this damn thing. It's hard, but I'm trying out here, and we're trying to grow. We're trying to bring more exciting content to the table, and hopefully you guys are still here to click on it, listen to it, comment on it, tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong, hold me accountable. I love nothing more than to hear from one of the listeners, whether you tell me I had the worst take of all time or you think I hit the nail on the head. So shout out to y'all for real. It means a whole lot. Subway Sports Talk just getting started. I guess that means this is season two. I don't know. Like I don't know about this doing season one, season two, season three. Maybe this makes it... Season two. I don't know about that. Maybe you got to wait for another. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Now I'm just rambling. I tend to do that. You tend to stick along and listen through the rambles. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully you enjoy the show. Here's another one for you. Now we're going to talk some hoops because that's what we love to do so much. Let's talk to Kyle. All right. Now our guy, Kyle Anderson, NBA outsider, MVP of the season. I think we've talked about that already. He's back again to talk about this NBA finals and Kyle First of all, welcome to the show. It's been a minute since we talked hoops on Subway Sports Talk. Welcome back. It has been a minute, man. Thank you, bro. Uh, I've I've been itching. You know, I feel like our schedules have been just been all over the place. I know you're finding some guys that were that were able to talk and stuff. So I'm just glad to be back, man. Miss yeah. miss miss all the boys. I know, Shout bro. Out. It's it's hard. You know, we're not used to having uh, this much basketball at this point in the summer. Like I didn't think it would be a big deal. And then you realize, like, it's July, and we got hoops on, and important, like, the most important hoops. Last year, obviously, being an outlier with we're all being home anyway, it was weird. Like, it was very strange to be at this point. Like, I was on a vacation. Like, I was a little under, I got that summer cold action a week before yep. vacation. All of a sudden, I didn't do an episode in a week and a half. I was like, oh, my God, this is stressful. But nonetheless, we are back to talk about the NBA Finals, which were pretty epic in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of really good games, a lot of high-energy performances from both teams and the crowds, which was fantastic to have. Um, before we get into the specifics about, you know, Giannis legacy, where he's at at age, what, 27 now, uh, what the Bucks just did in that playoff run, what happened to your boy CP3 and the Suns. In general, these playoffs, what did, what did you think? Because obviously the big question is, you know, how legit 
or how do you rank this finals with uh, all the injuries that took place? You know, my general opinion is like, you know, you can't nitpick too much, but sometimes, you know, you have to acknowledge certain things. So what do you think about when you think about, you know, the ranking or the legitimacy of this championship run? I feel like the playoffs for this year might've been one of the toughest. And I think that should go down as at least something in history that even though that it might have necessarily maybe an asterisk because all the injuries and everyone that was out, it should still count as just like, you know, dude, this is legit. The last team standing, at least in the Bucks case that made it through with no injuries or, you know, very limited injuries and was able to, you know, to pull it out. I think that should credit for a lot compared to some of these other playoff runs. And even though there weren't a lot of, uh, there were a lot of injuries, I would say it was pretty cool to see the amount of guys that stepped up in big situations that we didn't expect to. And I think if those injuries not, you know, it's unfortunate to say, but if those injuries didn't happen, we might not have seen certain guys like Cameron Payne step up or, um, you know, maybe Bobby Porter's in a sense, maybe, you know, who knows, you know, there's a lot of guys that just stepped up. It was just off the top of my head that kind of stepped up in huge situations that kind of provided an energy boost that no one was really, you know, anticipating. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Gerard Carmichael, the comedian, he has, uh, like a bunch of interludes from an interview he did with Tyler, the creator in, uh, the album Igor. He says some weird thing that like on the surface sounds so dumb. It's like sometimes a door closes, but a window opens. And that's kind of what I just thought of when you said that. Yes. Like, doors closed all over the place. Like, a door closed on the Brooklyn Nets, and there was a chance for Joe Harris to sneak through a window and become a dude. Because I think a lot of NBA fans were like, yo, Joe Harris is legit. This guy, you know, he doesn't miss, blah, blah, blah. And then you get into the playoffs, and he didn't sneak into the side door and become even bigger than what a lot of NBA fans already looked at him with. Like, that's a, that's a missed opportunity. Campaign, like you just mentioned, on the other hand, uh, Bobby Portis, to a different extent, Chris Middleton, you know, because he's already obviously a higher-profile guy, he still increased his his value, his career value. He didn't maybe have to slide through the window because everybody knows him. He's been an all-star. But all the questions we've asked about him and the people of his ilk, you know, the Tobias Harris's of the world, are they a true number two? Are they a three? Are they eating up too much cap space? Like, Chris Middleton was able to say, none of that. Like, I'm done with that conversation. Did you see what I did in the final two minutes in five different games? Like, in the you know what I mean? So that part was actually really cool. I do agree with you, and I like where your head's at because it's so easy to say, yeah, you know, if Harden and Kyrie were healthy, the Nets are walking to the championship. Well, guess what? They weren't. And if you want to do this about this playoffs, you have to go through every single team and every single playoff run and every single thing that happened. And it's not fair to the people who showed up to do the work. And that's where I like your answer a lot because it's so easy to be like, oh, the Lakers would have beat the Suns in the first round if they were healthy. Well, guess what? They weren't. And guess what? They didn't show up when it mattered most because they weren't prepared physically. It wasn't their fault, but that is what it is. So I like that a lot. Um, It's similar to the bubble situation where LeBron was saying, you know, this might be the hardest championship I ever won. It's like, all right, maybe not. It's the hardest, but... You still deserve the props because in no situation ever is it easy to win a championship. And we were taught that very, very quickly with the classic slogan that's now classic as a joke, Suns in four. Just a few weeks, not even a few weeks, just a week and a half ago, everybody was out here on Twitter 
talking to their friends. Suns in four. Suns in four. It's over. CP3, where's he at in the all-time legacy list? Is he above Isaiah Thomas on the all-time point guard list? And then swept under the rug. Wait, what is it? Swept off his... Yeah, swept under the rug. Swept, not swept under the rug. The rug was pulled from under him. That's yes, that's what go. I was yes. going for. Shout out to Duffy. I never get those sayings right. Um, <laughs> but the rug was pulled from under him, and in a few spots, he fell on his ass. And it's tough. It's a tough yeah. look. And you could talk about CP3 being the lead story here, but that's not the case. Very much so not the case. The case is that Giannis Antetokounmpo is the story. Him and Chris Middleton and Coach Bud, who might have been fired if Kevin Durant's foot was a couple inches back behind that line. <laughs> that's how fragile every single thing is in all these playoffs, and it was put on display more so now than ever. So let's talk about Giannis, Kyle. It's a guy who I'm actually not 100% sure where you've landed on him in the past as far as, like, is he a favorite of yours? Obviously, I knew you had immense respect for him in a lot of ways. Like, watching him through this playoff with true ups and downs where there were points where it was like, yo, he's a Robin, he's not even a Batman-type conversation going on to 50-point game-clinching final performance. It was a roller coaster for him, but all in all... The one thing you can say is he never let his spirits down. So perhaps where did you start with Giannis in the playoffs? Give me maybe like a checkpoint somewhere throughout the playoffs and now how you feel about him today. Honestly, I we, we've had some of the conversations about Giannis, I guess, just through text. I think we're all just very frustrated with how his game always was and with him taking jump shots, like perimeter jump shots that didn't need to be taken. And, um, you know, throughout the playoffs, you could tell like, all right, yo, he started to turn it on a little bit. And, and you know, in that net series, we we're talking about Middleton kind of being like you know, the Batman and he's like the Robin and Middleton kind of took over that series and really like balled out. But in the finals, what I noticed was, he was so much more aggressive and made it much more of a point to catch the ball at the elbow and was working from the elbow and was like, all right, word, I'm just going to post from here and I'm going to, you know, I'll one rip to the basket dunk or one rip to the basket and one or post up. And he really like made Aiton like look like a dude that should not have been in the playoffs at all. He made him really look really small um, in stature and just in value because he really gave it to him. And I think one of the things that it's crazy because I kind of compare it to when LeBron won his second finals and LeBron was still kind of like taking perimeter shots. If you still remember that, like that first finals win and he was still like playing from the perimeter and it was like, dude, like just take some of these guys in a post, man, take them in a post. And that, I remember that second finals, he had guys in a post and was like giving it to him, like in the Spurs. And I remember I was like, all right, he's arrived. Like this, it's his league, like a hundred percent, like not no debate. And before it was like, Oh, well, you know, Kobe, you know, you got some of these other guys that are, that are young, you know, D Wade is, is he really like the main guy on the team? And that's how I felt with Giannis in this finals was that Giannis really was made a point. And it was like, all right, I'm catching from the elbow. I'm going to work from here. If I have a nice little midi jump shot, I'll take it. But for the most part, everything's going to be around the rim. Like that shot chart that they showed after game three or game four. Mm -hmm. And it was just like 
dot after dot after dot around the like the dunk spot was insane. And I think that's what we've all just been waiting for. Just him to just like, dude, take everyone to the post and just dominate or, you know, take everyone to the basket and dominate the strongest guy on the floor. And the, one of the biggest, probably the biggest guy on the floor. Yeah. He was use your body, man. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. If you're just a bully, like it, you don't have to be a skillful bully. Like dude, just do, be your body and just dominate. And I, I, this is like the first time I was like, damn, like I was actually like low key, like proud, like, yo man, this dude's like figuring it out. Like good for him. Yeah. And you know, it's twofold. Cause exactly what you said is so true and so important. Like play to your strengths when your strength is the ultimate strength. It made me think of Frank over the years being like, yeah. bro, I'll take Copo because that he, <laughs> you know, yeah, right, yep. come on, you're, you're yep. Shaq, bro. Like, come on. Yeah. You're Shaq. Frank was, Frank was like the biggest, you know, was the biggest guy like out of our group saying like, yo dude, like I, yeah. when is he going to stop taking jump shots? Yeah. And, you know, and, and we all, we all, you know, we all backed him up. And I was thinking of Frank when I was watching that game, I'm like, yo, he's really doing his Shaq impression. It's not one for one. It's not the same exact game. Like he obviously has more agility and, and whatnot. Um, but it was a lot of same. Cause you might think a Shaq is just, you know, dunking through people's souls. But if you really watched the highlights and you remember those games of Shaq dominating, like the turnaround little hook shot was a big part of his repertoire. Like, it's not like he had amazing touch, but he knew if he got to that spot, he can turn and nobody's going to block. It wasn't a sky hook like Kareem, which is, takes a ton of skill, but it was like this little turn push thing going on that Giannis whipped out the bag. You don't see him do it very consistently in the regular season. And what I thought about him and from like a legacy standpoint that he has this ring in the bag now, right? Like the 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 monkey off his back or whatever the the saying is for that. Like he can now do that stuff in the regular season where we used to get mad at him for taking jumpers. Now the regular season is almost irrelevant for him. Now granted, if he puts up 30 and 13, he's going to be back in the running for MVP because he got the ring out of the way. And if he didn't get the ring, he never would have been back in that conversation for a while. So now he got that off off the books. He got the ring. Now he can really work and commit to the jump shot, to the free throws, to the elbow extended range, to the three-point line. And it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work in the in the regular season that much as long as they're still a top three seed, right? Because then when the playoffs come around, he might be that much better at those other things. And now he has the Shaq thing on lock where he can be the most dominant guy in any series. Now, the next question before we move to the Suns, because we're not going to spend a ton of time today. we got other stuff to talk about. Legacy gets brought up. Obviously, a Hall of Fame track is obvious for where he's at right now. There is still a very strong population of fans here who want to remind people very quickly, like, yes, Giannis just had an incredible, amazing, undeniable finals. Like, just legendary, legit, and that's not an exaggeration. But there's a lot of people who are still ready to say right away, but Kevin Durant is the best player in the league. LeBron still exists and has him. Right. So when you think of that part of this conversation, where does your mind go first and what may be fair or not fair? I would say that it's unfair to say that he's like either automatically now the best player in the league. I wouldn't say that yet. However, with that said, he's obviously in the top three or the top five, a guaranteed top five in the top three. You know, if you go and win a championship and you, you know, put up 50 in the finals and you're putting up 40 in multiple games and kind of doing stuff. What was it? 50, you know, drop 50 in the finals and only six people have done it in the league history. All right. Yeah. 
you know, like some people have playoff runs and, and, you know, finals runs, but he was pretty consistent for the entire finals and playoff run. What I will say though, is it is fair for, you know, for him to be in a conversation as one of the best players, you know, he, he shouldn't be exited from that conversation just because dude, Kevin Durant had his shot. Unfortunately it's, yeah, whatever. He he gave him, you know, every gave Giannis every punch he could possibly give, but he didn't get it done. And he still had a team that was just as good as the Bucks. And obviously a lot of people argue better. With injuries and without right. Sans in, Sans injuries, it, but whatever. You know what I mean? Like injuries or not, like it is what it is, dude. But it's it's more of an opportunity for uh I think Giannis to get more love than he didn't before. Like it was pretty crazy just watching or just reading on Twitter. People were still saying like, Oh, well, Giannis still like, isn't that good. Like, yo dude, like how good does he have to be? If he's still doing this on a nightly basis, you know, in the finals, what else does he have to prove? This is, you, you don't get lucky playing uh, as long of a stretch as he did right. this well. You know, he, 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 he's the real deal, man. And, and he needs to get his respect. You know, I was, I was one of the first ones to be like, yo, dude, stop freaking taking, you know, these jumpers. Yeah. All right, Th- dude. Threes with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. Like that's not you, man. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, going from, you know, from, from getting a rebound and then into a transition three, like, dude, that is not your game. And he finally recognized that. And all right, dude, you got to give somebody respect when he does, you know, when he does what he's supposed to do. So whatever. Yeah, and you know what's crazy? He shot 80% within three feet for the whole playoffs. Dude, like that's, that's ridiculous. That's just silly. Like, that's just yeah. ridiculous. Uh, and, yeah, I, I probably, if I had to pick, and what's funny about it, we did this top 25 list before the bubble last year. It's actually, I think, your first yeah. time on the pod, Kyle. It yep. was pre-Subway Sports Talk. I was just mentioning how we did, we've actually done 70-plus episodes wow. to the day in one year. Uh, today, the day this comes out, not today while we're recording this, today when this comes out, the 22nd is one year exactly from our first Subway Sports Talk episode. The final Sports Blog New York episodes were the top 25 list. I actually put Giannis number one on the list. Only person. You guys are giving me a lot of crap for it. Deservedly so. And I don't I do even feel that. like I don't even feel vindicated by getting that in theory right because of um, he just won finals and the finals and the finals MVP. Like, it's still Kevin Durant. And I had Kevin Durant like four because we didn't know what the hell he was going to look like after the injuries and the years off. So I think it's very fair to say Giannis is not the best player in the league. Very, very fair. It's just probably, like, it has to be attacked in the right way. And I I don't think, I haven't heard a lot of distasteful ways of talking about Giannis not being the right, the, the best player in the league. I think mostly it's been like, listen, he's insane. He just had one of the most insane runs we've seen ever pretty like not again, not an exaggeration, like legendary status. Kevin Durant still has him. LeBron yeah. might still have him. Might not, might not Kawhi Leonard. Right. Might, he might not, but Kevin Durant, I think we can say he might actually yeah. have him still right now. Um, let's move quickly to a few more things. Um, Drew holiday had a very up and down offensive series, but defensively he, he did the damn thing. He, he did everything yeah. they asked him to do and more. He showed up on offense here and there. What do you think about Drew Holiday now when you think about this Bucks th- uh, team, the trade, all that jazz? Does it, it makes everything worth it for all time, right? 
Yeah, that that trade. I remember we were all saying like that's just silly. You know, three three first round picks for him, and you know for Drew Holiday. But you see how valuable he is, especially defensively, when guards can't get into their stuff, and he's causing havoc for ninety four feet. And the fact that he delivered so well offensively and like in big big spots. You know, yesterday he had a big three in the fourth quarter. Also, it just just shows that again, kind of what we were talking about before, just guys given opportunities that maybe weren't given opportunities before to perform in this spot. And obviously for him, I mean, his playoff runs were always in the first round and he would pretty much get bounced. And this is his first finals, you know, opportunity and he steps up and hits some like really big shots for the Bucks. And I think that he, I hope, you know, I hope he can really take that next step and be like a 20, you know, he could be like a 18, 20 point guy, you know, a night and, get freaking you know five steals and get 10 assists without the random you know seven point game mixed in yeah like that consistency yeah Yeah. and um basically that what that reminds me of is the whole playoffs in general we we alluded to it before of how quickly things changed here literally in the beginning of this series and in different parts of other series people were calling him drew bledsoe right they were literally joking on him because of Eric Bledsoe's lackluster playoffs over the past couple of years. They're calling him Drew Bledsoe. If you remember the scary Terry, Terry Rozier, Drew Bledsoe thing yep. with all that jazz. Um, and he ended up doing what he did and making incredibly big plays. The Al Giannis is one of the most epic plays I've Huge. ever seen live. That was insane. It was one of those plays yeah. where you move off your seat. Whether you're laying down, you, you sit up. If you're sitting up, you stand up. It was just off yeah. the charts. On the flip side of that, we had the opposite with the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker grabbing Kobe comparisons, who he rightfully was like, yo, you got to stop. I'm not, I don't deserve that yet. Like maybe one day, but not right now. He was a good, he was a good man for that. Good soldier for that, for sure. Um, Chris Paul was like we said before on his way to move up the all time ranks to become the third best point guard of all time, perhaps above Isaiah Thomas. And it was Suns in four. They were up two Oh, and then all of a sudden, Oh my God, the Suns' offense is stagnant. How are they relying on Jay Crowder to put the ball on the ground? Is Devin Booker okay? Can he shoot a three ball? What the hell's going on here? So first and foremost, I apologize. You are a Chris Paul fan. He's your guy. So yeah, you got close. I'm sure you felt like you had it in your grasps for him or with him, yeah. if you will. So real quick before we get to the Suns' future, do you want to give any uh, final words to Chris Paul's playoff run there? Yeah, man. You know what? Um, unfortunately, he had. Um, some crucial turnovers at points. And, you know, I'm never one to make excuses, but as Chris Paul probably has one of the best handles in the league and it's very like low key, but his balls, the ball is always on a string when he has the basketball. And I never saw him, never saw him lose the ball more times carelessly, just, just like falling out of his hand than I did in this series. And, you know, that was one of the big things about this finals was, you know, they won pretty early against the Clippers and it was to give him more time for him to rest that hand that was injured. And I really, honestly, I really think it had an impact on him just because of how many times he lost the basketball, which never happens. Um, But he, you know, there were times he had some crucial turnovers and that game four was rough. You know, he went five for 13, 10 points, and, you know, four rebounds and seven assists. Like, it's just, 
is not kind of typical of him in a big spot. That, I think that game four kind of changed the, like the entire series. You know, you go to, you know, two, two, as opposed to three, one, obviously it's a huge difference. And um, I feel, I just, I just feel bad for him, man. I feel bad for him. Cause I don't know um, when's going to be his next opportunity to get to a, a situation or to a final like that. You know, they keep throwing him in rumors around with the Lakers and I think that's really his only possibility of coming back, you know, with just how short, you know, he has left to play, you know, he's probably got like two, three years left in the back, you know, if that, yeah. So, and you, you really just did my job for me because my next question was going to be about the Suns moving forward, but real quick on Chris Paul, uh, some of his stats are, are real solid here. I think a saving grace or a silver lining, if you will, is the fact that he did, you know, show up, in game six and he played Correct. pretty well until, yep. you know, you can say he was a little bit deferential at the end of game six. And like, I hate to say it because I don't want him to go down like that. Like I actually, uh, our Alec, who you're going to hear in a second, he texted during the game, like who are you pulling for? I was like, honestly, I, I don't really have a rooting interest here. I really just want it to be a close game. If we get a game seven, I'd be thrilled because I didn't want to see Chris Paul go down without a swing. Like I don't want to see him strike out looking and in a way, he did a little bit. Like, not that he didn't take any shots in the final minutes, but he did look a little deferential. And unfortunately, Devin Booker just didn't have it. So, quick stat Chris Paul actually shot 55% from the field, 52% from three in the finals, which is off the charts. But he yeah, took he took 23 threes. So he's 12 of 23. On the flip side, Devin Booker, who made some incredible shots in some tough moments shot 11 of 41 from three on the series. That's 27%. I mean, you know, you're not going to chalk the whole series up to that, but that is incredibly hard to do. Yeah. It's big, man. It's, it's the finals, you know, you know how that it's an NBA game. Now it's, you got to hit threes. And even though he did have like, you know, like multiple games with 40, imagine if some of those shots were threes that were makes. You know, and and it's it's obviously very nitpicky, but you know if you lose a game by three, or you lose a game by you know say two for example, that is kind of a difference in you know one strategy difference how the other teammates set up a play, uh, you know the difference in between winning and losing, and it's 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 very nitpicky, but at the same time, when you're in the finals in the NBA, the way the game is now. It's just kind of the way it is. So I'm, I'm sure that's going to be one of the things he's going to be looking to to improve on. You know, his his game six, you know, 19 points, eight for 22. Like, that's not going to cut it, man. Mm-hmm. And and just the fact that I think another thing that sucked was that just seeing the Suns kind of lose movement, you know, with their offense. Like, the ball kind of got pretty stagnant from games three to six. Pretty much every game they lost. And – um it turned almost into ISO ball, which obviously you don't want to see. Bridges was kind of non-existent. Cam Johnson was pretty non-existent. Crowder was, he actually played pretty well, but, you know, he had to really find his, you know, find his shot for his, himself, not just because the ball was moving. So, yeah, yeah, that's one of the things they could have, they didn't do too well, but, you know, it is what it is. I said this to a friend in text message, um, and I didn't know if it made sense when I said it, but then I think if I could explain it, it would make sense. Uh, my friend Glenn listens to the pod. Shout out, Glenn. He texted that the offense for the Suns looks so stagnant. And I was like, you know what? Like, their offense is really dependent right now. 
And that may not make sense when you just think about the word dependent. You would think about an independent offense would include players operating independently. But I was saying dependent because they were really relying on Chris Paul, Devin Booker, or campaign to do everything. They're just solely depending on those guys to create shots for themselves or others. And then the uh, the Bucks took away the corners. There were no corner threes available for Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges and Jay Crowder. Those just weren't there. And then you were just fully depending on those specific ball handlers, those shot creators, who two of them are undersized, and one of them shot threes really, really bad. You know, yep. and, and when it comes down to the finals and that physicality, that's going to catch up to you. Uh, and we're not going to sit here and argue about if the Suns would have beat um, the Lakers if they were healthy, if the Suns were going to beat the Nuggets if Jamal Murray was healthy, or the Clippers if Kawhi was healthy. Because all those things are true, and they exist, and you know they can be litigated at some point in time. We have already in the past, probably. The matter of the fact is, they were a well-oiled machine until Game 3 of the NBA Finals, where the Bucks figured out a way to make their offense work extra hard and not be smooth at all. And that's really what it came down to um, because, you know, they scored okay. The Bucks' offense was actually awesome even when they lost games, and then they slowed down the Suns, and it was basically all over from there. Um, so my next question to you, I have two more questions for you. Here's the first one. The Suns moving forward. You alluded to it with Chris Paul and rumors of where he may end up. Was this their only shot? Was this their one and only chance with this group to win in the near, like, and I'm talking near future. I'm not saying look into the crystal ball five years down the road. Devin Booker is like 30 and a top five player. Like I'm talking the next three years. If Chris Paul is around, like, do they have a chance? If Chris Paul is around? Yes. I think they have a chance. Yeah. Sorry. 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 Let me, let me preface that. And the reason I say if Chris Paul is around is because I'm assuming if Chris Paul leaves next year, nobody's talking about the Suns as a title contender, right? Maybe we can say, okay, Aiton and Booker and Mikhail Bridges, and they get another piece in five years, but that's too far to predict. So I'm saying in the next three years, do they have a route back to the finals? And you're saying with Chris Paul? I think that would be the only way. I, yeah, I, I, yes. assumedly, unless and you want to, right? That's I why I said it I like think that. That's the only way. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think that's the only way. And 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 why I agree with you is because one, obviously, Chris Paul's leadership, and you know he hits big shots. But Chris Paul really took DeAndre Aiden's game to the next level and made him like an effective scorer. And obviously, he's a pretty good defensive player, but his pick and roll with Chris Paul, I think really elevated his game to the next level and made him an effective player. Like, you know, last year he was not doing what he was doing this year, you know, just flat out. And Chris Paul really took his game to the next level, but they're probably, you know, the youngest team in the West with like so much talent. I think it really goes like, where, where is this team going to develop from now? You know, is Crowder going to stick around is, uh, you know, is, is Bridges going to step up? Bridges has a lot of potential. Another 3 and D guy, but can, like, go off the bounce. Like, he's not just, like, a, a shooter. So, I think guys – oh, Cam Johnson. You know, those are, like, guys like that really could take the next step and, like, be more than just uh, – he's a he's a 10-point guy a night. You know, he's a contributor. These are guys that can legit get their own buckets and, and contribute to the defense on the defensive end as well. Um, so, yeah – 
if, if Chris Paul is around, I think they got a lot of a big shot. If Chris Paul is gone, I think I, I'm very curious to see who they're going to replace him with. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I agree with you, actually. I, I probably led you down the wrong path with my question, but I'm saying that's their only hope. I'm not, I just that don't, their only hope. I just don't believe that is. No, that is their only hope. Right. Chris Paul's, he's their only, he's their only hope. If, if Chris Paul is not around, that's what I'm saying. If Chris Paul is not around, I don't think they have a shot. Right. And I'm just I'll saying, like, even with Chris Paul around, I don't feel great about it. Don't feel good at okay. all. This might have been their shot, yeah. is what I'm kind of getting yeah. at. Like, right. next year, healthy, uh, healthy Lakers, healthy Nuggets, healthy Clippers, yeah, healthy you Warriors. You know all of a sudden, is, they look very regular again. You just can't rely. You can't. I. I. What I. I guess what I'll say is, I can't rely on Anthony Davis being healthy all True. the time. True. I, mean, You're I right. can't rely on Kawhi being healthy anymore. Clearly. Or, or Paul George. Or LeBron. You know? So at least that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're these right. These are the youngest guys. Yeah, or LeBron. Yeah. Right? Or LeBron. Like these are the youngest guys in the West. Like they they might have like the freshest legs, but you know the freshest bodies out of anybody. It's true. That might be outside the of CP. They, yes. You know, I mean that that might be the reason why they actually do go back. You know, or you know, get close. But you know, if all those other teams are healthy, it's yeah, it's going to be very tough. It'll so. be interesting to see what they try to do to, to supplement that roster. You saw it with Milwaukee; they got Drew Holiday, and they weren't just going to sit around. They were still going to add PJ Tucker. They're going to add whatever they can. All the teams that really make noise don't ever stop trying to get better, right? So the Suns can't run it back. They need to move something. They need to add something and see what they can do to get better here. All right, last question. Yeah, look into your crystal ball now. I wasn't asking you to do it before. Now I'm looking in, asking you to look into it. Giannis has a really strong approval rating right now. I think he's had some pushback. To say he's had no pushback is unfair because I, I think he has had a decent bit with the jump shooting and the free throw shooting and um, not being able to win in the playoffs. He got a little bit of the hardened treatment, which was probably somewhat deserved. And then you look at his age. And you're like, okay, maybe it wasn't deserved because he just won a ring mm-hmm. at 26. So now looking to the crystal ball, do you see in the next five years prosperity and love in Giannis's future? Or do you see pushback and some more hate sprinkling in to the Giannis atmosphere perhaps? And that can go as far as maybe he does end up leaving Milwaukee. Maybe he doesn't get back to a finals. Now look into your crystal ball and tell me what you think about the next five for Giannis perhaps. You know, it's crazy. I think that Giannis is going to be in such a good position with criticism and it will have nothing to do with dribbling a basketball. I think his personality is like, he's hilarious. <laughs> like people love Giannis. I thought you were going to say like, he's going to start annoying people. <laughs> no, like dude, his, like, you know, him at the drive through of Chick-fil-A, like with the 50 piece nugget, like everyone loves that, you know? And He's got the, you know, the MVP trophy and the O'Brien, like, in the car with him. And then he's, like, <laughs> hanging with fans and stuff. Like, he's, like, the people's champ. And, like, people love Giannis. And he's a clown, you know, on Instagram Live and, like, you know, messing around. I think that's one of the things that's 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 going to save him. I think that's also what saves Kawhi from a lot of criticism is because he doesn't freaking talk. So, if you're a guy that's outspoken, you're like, oh, well this dude's an idiot because he said a b and c and you know what and he can't do this on the court right Giannis at least is like yo man i miss a free throw and you know i airballed a free throw in game three 
I'm going to airball another one in game four. Hey, man, it happens, bro. I'm just Giannis, man. I'm going to do only, what I do. Like, can only go up from here. That was the can best go from here. thing Yo, ever. How, what kind 100%. of, like, how do you not, how can you not appreciate that approach? Like, he's like, yo, man, like, it is what it is, bro. I'm just, I'm just going to keep hooping. Like, how can you not respect that? People are literally counting to 10 on his free throws to try yes. to be like, you taking, you're taking forever and you suck at this anyway. And, and he's still just like going to 13. Fuck it. And still going to 13. Yeah. And, he, and, and he's just like, listen, I, I hit rock bottom on free throws. I can only get better now, baby. Like that Dude, was the absolute best way to approach that. Now, wait, Alec Argento is also here in the zoom right now. He's patiently waiting for baseball. He's shaking his head at me. Can you turn on your mic, please? Uh, you're one to, to yes. per, perhaps zag in your day. Is there a zag there? Do you think there's going to be a, a group of people who start to be like, all right, Giannis, like literally the first thing I thought about yesterday. I remember I knew it. It was I when knew the Warriors it. <laughs> did that. And oh cool, young, young fun team and everything. Like I give it two years. If if he repeats next year, I'm out on Giannis. Right now, <laughs> awesome. Love him. Great guy. I don't I don't want to see repeats unless it's my team. If he keeps winning, I'm tired of the games and the jokes and the chicken nuggets. Get out of my face. It, it's cool when you're right, twenty six right. and, and you get you got the feel good story. A guy was like a street vendor and his brother got his brothers here and everything stayed with this team love to see it it's great for the sport i don't want to see him whenever again i want to see i want to see the next one <laughs> that's amazing that's exactly i i knew i could trust you for something like that and i even i only brought this up because in my group chat there were multiple people today already being like all right bro like calm down or people in the group chat last night said go celebrate with your teammates Giannis." And I was like, come oh, on, guy. Like, oh my God. My right. dude was selling stuff on the streets in Athens like 10 years ago. Not 10 years ago. Like right. 15 years just, ago. Just want to throw this out there. Dude curses a lot. They're very not family friendly. <laughs> That'll wear on people yeah. in a couple of and, years. And you know what? His English, cool. his English isn't incredibly strong. I think he gets away with some things. How much longer? That's all I'm saying. Some, I'm somebody say, had it. <laughs> I, it, it. In the year of our Lord 2021, it's okay because it's pandemic and everything, but it wins again next year. I don't want my kids listening to that. That's that's garbage right. talk. <laughs> right, exactly. He he needs to jump on Babel yeah. or something, learn some better English. You know what I mean? You gotta yeah, I mean, something you out. know, you know, he's an intelligent guy. I don't want to hear that kind of trash talk out there. It's dude, not for me. Dude, better lose that accent. Sound all foreign. <laughs> okay, I, I just I just want to say him. one thing. I love have him. you heard I love his brother speak? Just rip him. Have you heard his brother speak? They have like no accent whatsoever. I don't understand. Zero He's been in America for like really almost I, like the majority of his life. I, I don't know if I I, I don't know if it's Denisis uh, or Denisis, whatever it is, right. whoever he was talking to. Oh that yeah, yeah. That thing. He had no accent whatsoever. It was the weirdest thing in the world. You know what, Giannis? Giannis, I think is the oldest. I think Giannis is the oldest, right? Is he the oldest? Or is, no, Thanasis is, is older than him. He's the middle. Really, Costas. Oh, you know what? Maybe. Maybe maybe Thanos should have kept working on that jumper, bro. Clearly Giannis was like <laughs> bump the accent, like yo man. It's all about that. It's all about that jumper. Yeah, and dunks. Oh man, obviously that's all fun and games until everyone actually starts getting annoyed with him next year. It's no, possible that it can yeah. happen. It's it's. I think people are already annoyed because that's how. Uh, I don't know if across the world. I imagine it's across the world, but in America, you can guarantee when somebody gets something nice that they will start to get shit. It's just how it's a guaranteed goes. Guaranteed hater. Yeah. It's guaranteed hater. Just that's, looming in the darkness. He may not Waiting deserve it, but it's coming. And that's just yeah. what it is. It, it, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how starved the franchise is. Everyone likes a feel good story until they don't. That's it. Yep. yep. Trey Young had like a week in college and then he was just getting shit on ever since. 
Um, all right. I think that's what we can end on. Um, last thing real quick, Kyle, is there any is there one a- player we're going to talk draft next week? Is there one player who you want the Knicks to get? They're in a weird mm. spot to like really pick one guy, but is there one guy who you're like, yes or no? You don't, I'm putting mm. you on the spot. You don't have to answer. You can say, no, 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 no. It's all right. You can tease it for Honestly, next week. Honestly, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But if it were, if, you know, he's not going to fall down this far, but we have all these picks, you know what I mean? Like maybe we can trade up, but I like where your head's at. I'm just like, I'm just like Jalen Suggs or die. Bro. Oh, like, I love Jalen Suggs. Well, I yeah. love Jalen Suggs. It sounds like you're yeah. dying, Kyle. But, but, <laughs> Like I said, I haven't I haven't done any homework. I've yeah, been yeah, really yeah. busy. I put you on the spot. We'll be back next week with the draft talk. Trust me, next week I'll have I'll have like five or ten guys that I'm like, yo, we gotta have him. Gotta have him. He's gonna he's gonna save our franchise. But yeah, I, I shouldn't have this is messed up that you you brought up like I'm not allowed to talk, but I'm not gonna remain silent here that you're talking Nick's draft and who we want. You just ignored me. That's I was messed gonna, up. I was gonna ask you. I was gonna ask well, you. I, I want Trey Mann. <laughs> I hope you get him. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but I should have asked you, Kyle, not about the Knicks. I should have said, who's your guy in the draft? And that would have my guy. That could have been Jalen yeah, Suggs. And then you're Jaylen good to Suggs, go. Man, that's my guy. But uh, all right, Kyle Anderson, I appreciate hey. you. You got some big seasons coming up. Football offensive coordinator. Yes, sir. Yep. OC varsity catch him in the, the leagues of New Jersey high school football. You yes, don't want to. You don't want to be defensive coordinator against our guy Kyle. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, man, it's gonna be a run heavy season this year. I'm telling everybody now. Oh, run heavy. All right, run well, heavy. QB, QB's QB's getting there though. QB is getting there. So all right, I'm sure eventually he'll be slinging it too. So there we go. All right, Kyle. Yeah, thank man. you so much, bro. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, man. No doubt. Talk to you. All right, now it's time to talk some baseball on Subway Sports Talk. You already heard from Alec Argento, but we'll say an official hello to him. Hi, Alec. What's going on? So. Uh, we just heard you have a quick take about Giannis and the Knicks and whatever you popped in at the end there with Kyle. Uh, but now it's time to talk about a topic closer to your heart, which is the Yankees and baseball as you've been in and out on your own team over the past, what month, like four times in each direction. So it's been very tricky to be a Yankee fan recently sharing that pain and triumph and pain again with some more triumph again with you is Andrew Kalanya. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Hey, man. How's it going? Ready to break down the uh, the, the important topics on everybody's mind. Uh, the NHL expansion draft. Seattle Kraken, baby. Yeah, the Seattle Gary Sanchez. What is it? Uh, what does it do with an expansion draft? Does it do, if it's just, sorry, if it's just one team, do they basically just get to pick out of all the guys in the pool? Yeah, so you, uh, you protect... Um, I, I think it's like or any other expansion draft where uh, if you have a no trade clause, you're automatically protected or you have to be protected. And mm-hmm. then you have a certain amount of guys um, uh, that you that you can protect. Right. So the Rangers lost Colin Blackwell, a decent third line center. Oh, wow. Um, uh, this, is getting, you know. this is getting two in the weeds now. Uh, that's yeah. that's too far. Uh, who the hell is <laughs> <laughs> Who's Colin Blackwell? No, because I thought usually an expansion draft, there's two teams expanding via the draft, right? So don't they get to at least alternate a little bit? They're not just going to guarantee they're going to get all, or maybe there's even a thing where you get like your first people are ranked and like, Oh, these could be your first three picks. But once you go past your first three, they're out of the pool. 
It could, I don't even know. Mm. We should just before. Man, I, I hate this segment. This segment sucks. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Um, in other news, I said this before with Kyle and uh, earlier in the podcast. Do you know, Andrew, or did you know? Alec heard this before. This is the one-year anniversary of Subway Sports Talk in which the three of us did our first SST episode. Really? Yeah. How about that? Holy, I, yeah. Holy holy guacamole. There you go. You were going to wow. curse, and then you didn't. And, uh, yeah, it, I, not today as in when we're recording, even though that would also be the case because we always record the night before it comes out. But when this comes out, it is the one-year anniversary of the release of the first Subway Sports Talk. We've done over 70 episodes in a year. And uh, we've had 15,000 listeners, which is fantastic. Holy shit. Yeah, not 15,000 unique people. That's totally. Yeah, you that's know, total. That's, that's, that's still a solid number, my friend. Hey, I'm proud. We should all be proud. Hats off to us. Yeah, t- that's it. Alex not wearing a hat. We'll tip our cap for you, and uh, we'll move on to talk some actual baseball. Shout out to Subway Sports Talk, and thank you to you two being the designated hitters here talking baseball throughout the season, the offseason, and whatnot. And this is the perfect time to pick up the pace. The NBA Finals is over. The NBA Draft is next week, which we'll cover. But in reality, it is baseball, baseball, baseball for like three weeks until football really, really ramps up. And then, <laughs> and then you have to share time again when it matters most. Uh, but it is a really fun time right now in baseball when you can start looking at the standings and not just saying like, oh, it's nice, we got a little lead. Or, oh, we got a little bit of a ways to go to catch up you can really start looking at the standings and trying to understand what needs to be done to make it to the playoffs. Now for the Mets leading up to this point, there's been a lot of confidence in the sense of they've had a good lead in their division. Now that lead has shrunk a little bit on the Yankees front. It's a little bit of the opposite. They're playing probably the best baseball, maybe not the best baseball because it's not particularly amazing, but they're playing the most winning baseball that they've played all season, so they're kind of on the uprise, and we're back to classic New York baseball. Is that right? Is that fair to say? Andrew, I'll go to you first. Is this classic New York baseball? The Mets pitched amazing all year and couldn't hit. Now they can hit, and they're giving up a million runs. The Yankees had no juice and were doing lackluster moves all year long. Now they're all injured and playing who knows who, and they're playing with juice. Is it classic baseball? Is water finding its level? What the hell is going on here? In the Bronx and Queens, well, it's it's, it's the equilibrium. It's always uh, I remember it. Probably I think it was last year. Or it might have been like two years ago when we were still working together at uh, at CBS. Uh, Good times, you know. Like the Mets got off to like a hot start, and like the Yankees struggling a little bit. And you're like, by June June fifteenth or something, like they'll they'll have the same record, and they did. Um, and you know they're pretty similar at the moment. The Mets are fifteen forty three. The Yankees are. Uh, 49 to 44, you know, just a matter of, uh, you know, the AL East being a gauntlet of a division and uh, the, uh, the NL East uh, kind of being a little bit of garbage, um, you know, despite the Mets having a, a pretty good uh, run differential, uh, second best in the division, the Yankees having the, uh, almost the third worst or the, yeah, the fourth best uh, run differential in the division, you know, the teams are, teams are pretty similar. Um, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, just a just the, just the way that the kind of the season's been going, just the the the, the hitting's been a problem for the Yankees for a little while, and now you know with the now the, all these minor league guys coming in, giving them a little juice, just the same way uh, all those after all those injuries for the for the Mets early in the season where they had those uh, 
you know, the, uh, the Villars and the Pilars and all those guys, uh, giving them some juice. So, you know, these teams are a, a lot more similar than, uh, I think people note, uh, people, uh, would, would, would seem to notice. Yeah. Cause for some reason, Yankee fans wanted to, you know, which was pretty fair again, in hindsight, they wanted to kind of cry to themselves and feel bad for themselves because their team wasn't playing up to the standard, which is fair. And the Mets were almost like getting a free pass because of the record and because of the outcome of so many games, despite glaring flaws that we've been talking about on this podcast. And it's almost been um, like is fool's gold. Is that, is that a phrase? That's, does that make sense? That makes sense there, right? It's like, that's what the Mets have been. It's like, Oh, they're winning three to two. They're winning four to three. Oh, they scored four runs. That's a good game for the offense there, you know? And now you look at it in a big picture standpoint, you know, on the backside of the all-star game and it all kind of looks the same and how they got here doesn't really matter. It's about what's going to happen moving forward. So Alec Argento at Alec Argento ESPN are like, you have been out and in and out and in and in and out on this team. And right now your energy is back up. Not that you haven't been watching. Cause I know you, even if you say, Oh, I don't know if I can watch this team anymore. You're still watching. I know you. So yeah, I watch every game. Yeah. Talk about the roller coaster and talk about where you are now and where you think you're going to go. Well, I mean, they're not going to win the division. I've, I've accepted that a long time ago. I accepted that probably like week two when, when you, you know, I, I've, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends when you are looking up at the division from after April, you're most likely going to be looking up for the rest of the, the year. If you dig yourself that big of a hole, but you know, it's you, you win 60 games, you lose 60 games, and, and then the rest defines your season. So they're, they're just about at the 60 game mark for, for either side. They're playing a tough stretch of, of teams right now, and they're playing well. As of the time we're recording this podcast, it's 5 2 Yanks, but the Phillies do have guys on second and third with one out. So we'll see how this game ends. But, you know, I think Drew had said it to me. I think they needed to win, 50, go 15 and no, what was it, 21 and 15 or something like that? Uh, the 17-game the seven, the stretch after the post-all-star with the Rays, the Red Sox, Phillies, and then the Rays and the Red Sox, 17-game stretch. They said they, they, they'd go minimum 12 and 5, 13, 13 and 4. And yeah. right now, if they uh, they win tonight, I think they're like 6 and 2, something like yeah. that. And they've won eight of the their last 11 and could potentially be nine of their next uh, of their last 12 today. So... I mean, listen, like, I think they're four games out or three and a half games out of the second wild card right now. I think that that's fine. They're still playing for something, right? Like, they're not out of it. And I was talking to Drew about this before, but this seems like, for whatever reason, this seems like the first time in a long time the Yankees seem to be, like, legitimate buyers at the trade deadline. Um, So they might add a Joey Gallo, whether I agree with that move or not, or they're going to – it looks like they're going to add a name and stop prospect hugging for – the first time in a while and it's exciting so um you know it, it's it's hard to watch them sometimes but if if they have maybe this little stretch of these minor league players giving them some juice they can carry it over i mean you know your best players out right now when he comes back you know that they're going to get a little bit more of a, of a jolt and if they can add a, 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 a lefty bat that can hit for consistency um in the trade deadline i feel okay about the team do i expect to make the playoffs no. Do I think there's a shot at making the playoffs? Sure. Even if they make the playoffs, I mean, there's a there's a good chance that they can get knocked out in, in the wild card round, even though I doubt it with Garrett Cole because he's he's a fucking gamer. But um, you know, it's it's exciting to watch 
good play again, right? It's right. not great play, but you, you go out there and you don't expect them to lose like you did for the first 40 games of the season. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's relatively exciting. And, 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 and until uh, the Knicks start trading for Colin Sexton or Damian Lillard or something like that, this will keep me going. And then the Giants are coming back next month and we're, we're good to go. There you go. You Colin Sexton or Damian Lillard, either one would get you, you know, tuned up perhaps. That's the name. It's, it's just, okay. I find it, okay. I just find it crazy that the, that the Yankees are probably going to add at the deadline here when this is the weakest team that they've had in like five years. And then like the last two, two, three years, they've really done nothing at the deadline. These are like easy hundred plus team, hundred plus win teams. And you know, all they needed was like finishing touches and they could have like gone to right. the world series and like they didn't do anything then. And now this is the team where like they'll might go out and get like Joey Gallo or someone like that. Um, you know, who, who, you know, they, you know, they, they don't need another, uh, power on base strikeout guy, but, um, you know, a lefty bat in the middle of the lineup, but like a true lefty bat number three hitter might be just what the offense needs. Right. Um, I mean, short ports too. I mean, oof. yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, him launching home runs at Yankee Stadium would be super fun to watch. Yeah. Um, well, the, the thing with Gallo too, is that he's got an extra, he's not a pure run, but we talked about yeah, this, but it, yeah. he's, he got an extra year of control question. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I might be connecting the dots here. Is this the last year of Boone's contract? Yes. I believe it is. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that ownership or the front office want to get rid of Boone. I think that maybe mm. that's the reason they might be coincidence. Putting in, uh, I think not. They, they want it. They want to protect his job. Would you say, Petey? Co- I said coincidence. I think not. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I feel that. I think they like Boone. I, I really do. I, for whatever yeah. reason, I think they do. Uh, and as I, by the way, Nick Nelson just came in with his 10 ERA with bases loaded for some reason. Very Don't excited. Really understand that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they want to preserve Boone to an extent. I'm not saying that that's the only reason they're buying at the deadline. But I mean, this guy, if, if, if they bring him back, the optics are, are ridiculous if they continue this mediocrity for the rest of the season. To give the flip side of what you just said, because I don't disagree with you at all, but the flip side, which is where my head was, is perhaps the front office is saying, we need to give him every opportunity to turn it around, and then he's done. Like, this is the last straw. Kind of like we were talking about and, that. Unless he that. does. Unless he does. It. But, like, but, he, but, you know, if he turns it around and you guys end up with 90 wins or something like that, and and in a wild card and a average to to solid playoff run, you know the guy's track record is is getting you somewhere. It's not nothing. Uh, so, really. but, but, I mean, but, the, uh, the Yankees have been worse. Oh, oh, a hundred percent. Exactly. And and every every opportunity that they've had this year, where to, you know, kind of turn things around or like, and they just had keep how many like, like just terrifying like losses can one team have in in the first half like that like we want to talk about this 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 I'll, let you, I'll let you know after the Mets second half that that uh that game in Houston with the with the For jerseys real. and that we thought we had like a thing we thought we had a, th- a new thumbs down thing with the with the jersey tuck thing and then Ho- uh Altuve fucking pantsed us uh at the at the end you know so it's just like every every chance like this team has like Boone's tried to like rally this team. They just, they've come up so empty. That's why, like, I don't know. I just, I really, and unless they make a deep, deep playoff run, I, I can't see Aaron Boone being the manager right. in, in 2022. I just, I just can't like, it, 
I, sure, I, you I just, can't, I, but there's also, but the, the, you, I, I think a lot of us would have said, I think you would probably agree that nobody expected uh, Joe Girardi to be gone. You have no idea what this, what this front office yeah. is going to do. This front office makes no sense to the fan base. They have, you know, they have stuff that goes on beyond, uh, behind closed doors that the rest of us are not privy to, and they have tunnel vision. That, that's it. So, it, you know, I, I, I could totally see them giving him an extension and the fan base rioting um, because they're Can not going to break this thing. Can you imagine the fan base? They've been screaming fire Boone for four months, uh, for f- three years, really. But all right, so um, let me bring up uh, another point here because, again, I- I'm on your side of this. I'm trying to play devil's advocate here because I do think those other things are possible. And if Cashman makes the trades and maybe if, say, he loves Boone, like maybe they have a great personal relationship with one another here, right? And, uh, Boone, I mean, Cashman makes the move. He gives uh, Boone every opportunity, and then it doesn't go well. Cashman can say, listen, Aaron, I gave you a shot. I made the moves. I pulled the trigger. We needed to go over the hump. We didn't make it. You're done. I appreciate you. Sayonara. Like, that's possible, and that's, I think, an outcome that fans and Cashman can both kind of get behind together, right? I just don't don't think you make – and I know what you're saying. You're just trying to, you know, make a conversation out of it. But no, I think that's I legit. Think, I think that's possible. I don't. I don't think that you go out and do that if you it, it, to like. Well, it's also to make the team better. It's also to try to save Brian Cashman's ass as well. We talked about this already with with Cashman and the fact that he has to start pulling some strings or else his his thing is going to expire soon. He's been around I, for a I long think so. time. I, the cash, I think Cashman. If I don't think Cashman gets fired, I think Cashman. Fires himself. You know, they, he steps they, down like want, Danny Ainge. Like he fires himself in some point. Or maybe. they or they move him up to uh, like a vice president or like you know vice president of operations or something or baseball make him president of baseball operations instead of like the GM and bring in like a new voice of the GM that's, that's underneath Cashman because I like Cashman's been around for way the, longer the, than we the realized. The nineties. Yeah. He yeah. became the GM when he was thirty years old in nineteen ninety eight. What were you do? What was I doing when I was thirty? I, I, was, I was sitting on the couch, uh, trying to figure out how I want my balls rubbed. You know, to talk to <laughs> you're to, really to bring taking off to, to bring to bring it back to Pedro Martinez. You know, the, the yeah. baseballs. How I want my baseballs. Yeah, of course, rubbed. of course. Okay. Yes. You know what was you know? <laughs> I what, are, what are you guys gonna be just, doing? Did you have to put a lot of thought into figuring out how you wanted to do it? <laughs> you're sitting down wondering how you want to do it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a it's a really. It's, I just didn't you know. see that coming. Uh, I'm wait. I'm not 30 yet. Does that mean I have a chance to become the Yankees GM? Yeah, apparently, apparently so. Let's go, baby. You know, it, it, Cashman's been in the in the organization since like the early 90s when he he it was his first job out of college. Right. Okay. So like, there's yeah, there's so, no way. Maybe he fires he himself when he wants to. He only leaves when he wants to leave. Right. All right. So besides I, the point, I've, let me. Let's I've get always back. said that the the Celtics and the Yankees are identical organizations, so I I could see him doing it at any age. Exactly. I, I I would not be shocked if he fires himself and, you know, pulls a Theo Epstein and works in the front office for, I mean, at the, the major league office for a year and then gets another job. Who knows? He could do whatever the hell he wants, right? He can. Well, I'll tell you what he wants to do. Jump off buildings for some reason, like rappel down buildings. Every Christmas, he de- every Christmas he does that. That's wild. Uh, actually, Wait. I have nothing bad to say. I once I, I met him at my college once. I, he did a, like a, a chat. And he let me wear the uh, 09 World Series ring, which is really cool. Wow, so, that's uh, I'm, cool. I'm, I, he's a fa- I'm a fan of his for life. So. Cool. That's a cool brag as well. Um, all right, let's get back on track here. We got let's let's reel this in quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, with the the idea of moving a guy moving for a guy like Joey Gallo, 
and I, I really wish that we got together right after the Mets series because I was driving home uh, and I was listening to JJ right after the Mets doubleheader where they split, they won game two of that doubleheader. And JJ was saying this, it really made me think I wanted to have this conversation with you guys. Then the conversation still exists now with this weird conundrum of actually making moves with the worst team rather than in the past couple of years where they haven't made moves with the better team. JJ was wishing in a weird way, he was saying that the Yankees lost game two in that doubleheader against the Mets because he felt that would have been near rock bottom and would have forced change. Now, I don't know if that's true. You know, maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration. He said, I'm not actually rooting for a loss, but if the loss, I would have traded a loss for change or for Boone to be fired, whatever it may be. Do you see that as a possibility here where Cashman was looking at it, Boone was looking at it, Steinbrenner was looking at it, the players are looking at this and saying, oh my God, like we're hitting the bottom right now. This is like a pathetic showing of baseball. If we don't do anything right now, then we're just giving up. Do you yeah, think does yeah, that play you know a role? Yeah, but that, I wasn't wasn't Houston rock bottom. You know, wasn't 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 that moment with yeah. the Astros rock bottom? You know, and like mediocrity we, is rock bottom for the Yankees. This is what that's what I'm saying. This is this year has been mediocrity. But that's rock bottom. The Yankees will never be a team that's 20 games under 500. They're just not. They're not yeah. going to do that. They're going to put. They have too much money on the payroll for them to be that bad of a team. You, like talent's going to win out to an extent. So like. This is rock bottom. If you if you don't make the playoffs and you're, god god damn it, um, yeah. you just get, <laughs> come on. Um, but, At least say what yeah, happened so, so so the people listening. Nick Nelson just it, fucking coughing it up. For some for some reason, Aaron Boone put in Nick Nelson with uh, with men on first, uh, second, and third. This with is ten ERA and expected something to not happen that exactly happened. And they just gave up three runs immediately. Hasn't gotten it out yet. Still guys on t- a second and third. So this lovely. Is, this is fun um, for me. Yeah. Okay. But they're, they're rock bottom for the Yankees is mediocrity. They don't settle for mediocrity. You know, the, the, the ceiling is, is world series, but the floor is always a playoff appearance. If you don't make a playoff appearance, you're in shit. That's just how it's going to be. I don't think, I, and I don't think it's, it's Brian Cashman. I think it's how, I mean, Brian Cashman has, do you think Brian Cashman wants to be under the luxury tax? Do you think that, you know, that, that makes his job no. any easier. It, it's, it's how, how doesn't want to spend the money how, and like, you know, if, if that's how we're going to operate, we're going to be in this hell until you get out of these contracts that you're in with, with Giancarlo Stanton or whatever it is, you know, and there's no problem with having Giancarlo Stanton on your team, but it, there is, if it hamstrings your ability to, to get, make other moves going forward. So like that, that's, that's the situation we're in. Yeah, Cash, yeah, and Cashman's the are, not doing this and too. They're not, and yeah. they're not reactionary like that. When's the last the last time they fired a manager like in season was like when Steinbrenner and the Billy Martin heydays in like the, the late 80s. So like, it's just not the way they operate, you know. Yankees don't yeah, make... Yeah, they're going to let the contract go out. That's they'll let the contract... Do. Again, if, they, if they're going to walk away from Boone, it's going to be this offseason. They were never going to fire him in the middle of the season, no matter how many... Like, unless they absolutely... Like we're unless they got to that point of like ten games under five hundred at like the All Star break or something like that. There was there's just no way. Do you think that this is a job that people would want? Like like I, I absolutely take away the fact that it's the Yankees. Like the, it, you're, we all know that, but this the, the like this job is there's no ability to actually do anything. There there's absolutely no. this this clubhouse has the like this team has the least amount of, of ability for a manager to actually do anything at this point. If they wanted someone who was going to actually try to do something and, and, and actually bring their own ideas into it, they would have kept Joe Girardi. So they brought in Boone because of a figurehead personality. And unless they're going to bring someone in like that, 
nothing's going to happen. And, and, yeah. and when things go bad, having a guy like that who actually doesn't have any ability to control anything, it doesn't affect the clubhouse positively, I would imagine. Can you, can you guys, they can't, they can't treat the job like it's an entry level position. They just, they just can't. And they, and that's what they did with Boone. They gave him the, the, you know, that, that team was an automatic hundred win team the way it was constructed like two years ago. Um, You know, with all that talent on it, you know, and you know, they, they, it was a, they cruise controlled to, to those hundred wins. And then, you know, when Boone actually has to try to, manage and make any kind of decisions we've seen in the playoffs uh previous years they just he's not up to snuff to to do it and he lets the game he always tries to um you know he, he always tries to like lose if they're down by like a run or two he'll be like oh i'm gonna save the pen i'm not gonna try to win this winnable game in this for this hypothetical tomorrow where we could where we could be we could use these uh bullpen guys or our top 10 our top tier bullpen guys um, so it's, it's frustrating. Um, and if I, 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 I really can't see a scenario where Aaron Boone's the manager next year. And then I hope that again, they, they treat it like they don't treat it like an entry level position and they find somebody who can strike that balance of, uh, doing what the front office wants to do, but also at the same time, you know, kind of has a little bit of a mind of its own and not take pl- taking someone straight out of the broadcast booth. So. Can you guys give me an example of the type of manager you're talking about? Because I, I'm not Drew sure and you, I have very different types of views on this one. So I, that's fine. Who, who that's, I would like, but like, yeah. give me give me an example of like a current manager or of somebody that we would know, I guess, or a team that currently operates in such a manner that you think is what you're looking for in a manager. Like, if you think it's Alex Cora, why? If you think it's uh, Roberts in LA, why? Like, what is the type of manager that you're talking about right now? Because it's confusing yeah, I, to to kind of decipher. Yeah, I mean, I want a, I I want an old school manager. I I would be fine with a Buck Showalter. I I don't know if I'd be over the moon for someone like that, but I'd be fine with a Buck Showalter. Um, obviously, you want Tony Larusa managing the managing the Yankees. Tony Larusa is a little different. Tony Larusa was an asshole when he was in St. Louis and has always been a, mm-hmm. an asshole. So I don't I don't he, he's a different Tony Larusa is Tony Larusa. There's not really any other comp to him, but like. Of course, what I want in Alex Cora, who proof is in the pudding that he's an, a fantastic manager. I mean, they were garbage without him. They're great with him. I'm sure, what I want that. But um, those type of players, uh, coaches don't really seem to be available. Uh, but talk know, to or, me about Alex Cora. Like, what makes him that way? Because I was—that's the, the I, guy who jumped to mind. But like, what makes him such in, such a guy like that? Yeah, it's a culture thing. I mean, clearly, it's it's an emphasis on winning, right? It's it's an emphasis on on being able to make moves that don't necessarily make sense on paper and not being afraid to, to, to pull the trigger on something. There's a mix between an analytics and, and the ability to actually allow a coach to do what he wants to do. You know, you still need analytics. I don't want somebody who's going to completely overthrow them. I know that, you know, uh, uh, Mickey Callaway. Yeah. I know Buck Showalter is a bad comp because of the whole Zach Britton thing, but you mm-hmm. know, that's I was, I was, I'm glad you said it. Cause I was going to say it. Yeah, but but you know, I, I think that I think that you, you need to have both and you need to have someone who's confident enough in their position to make the moves that don't necessarily make make sense on paper. Cause because for some reason we put Nick Nelson in a game uh, that mattered uh, when he has a 10 ERA, knowing mm. that he has to get three outs or uh, three face three batters and still let him go in there, which makes no sense because the analytics yep. probably says that made sense. So I, I mean yep. if 
I don't want somebody who's gonna who's gonna be like, okay, yeah, Gary Sanchez needs to uh, t- to to sit for Garrett Cole. I want someone who's gonna get in Garrett Cole's face because Garrett Cole probably would respect that anyway. If somebody actually mm-hmm. told them what, what to do, I want someone who's gonna get hard on players that are just like not you know putting their full effort out there. I think Glaber Torres would react positively to a, a coach that gets in his face and holds him accountable. I know Gary Sanchez would uh, would would. Uh, would benefit from a hard-nosed manager because the proof is in the pudding with Joe Girardi. We've talked about this on the pod before. So I want someone who's going to get in people's faces. When I say old school, I want someone who is not afraid to have conversations, who's not afraid to get in people's faces and tell them what needs to be done. And, you know, it's like if you need to bench somebody who's, who's underperforming or like, you know, when Joe Torre would bench Robinson Cano for, uh, for not hustling to first, sure. You know, like that kind of player. I don't, you know, not to that extreme, but something along those lines is what I would want. I I just minimum someone with some kind of coaching experience, some kind of bench coaching experience. Like the again, the Boone coming straight out of the you know the broadcast booth and Matt Blake uh never being a pitchy coach before they have like a lot of neophyte kind of guys who rely heavily on like the analytics to take to to kind of dictate to what they want to do. Um again, and it leads you to Nick Nelson, who despite the like he gets thrown in as like an opener who he's, and he's just, he's just a terrible pitcher. I think he has the, you know, the stuff to one day be a good pitcher. Like he's, I kind of see a very similar Luizaga from, you know, this is kind of a baptism by uh, fire situation for him and he's just not ready for yet. So maybe in 2022, 2023, he can kind of be um, the more reliable pitcher that kind of Luizaga has turned into, but like he's not ready now. You know, and you know the Maybe. bullpen. The bullpen being kind of short as it is, like I, I think it's the uh, the last option that they kind of have here. Like I don't know. Yeah, I probably would have wanted to see like Sessa come in, but like I think the the way they've used the bullpen the last like couple of days, I, I you know they they might um, trying to. This could be classic Aaron Boone trying to save his pitchers for the Boston series, which is a more important series than trying to sweep the Phillies right now. But I think you got to try to win every every game that you can at the moment. So it's, you know, it's kind of Aaron Boone doing his Aaron Boone thing. Unlike years in the past, they don't have the luxury to do this. Yeah. I know, I know yeah. it's beating a dead horse here, but like outside of bullpen pieces, because that, the Yankees, have that's an analytics position, right? The bullpen for the most part is an analytics position, but name one player that has gotten better under Aaron Boone. You can't, there's not one player that's gotten better. Nope. So, nope. so, I mean, this is a four, five year stretch, right? Uh, that, that, Players have gotten worse and worse over the years. I mean, yep. that's proof is proof, proof is in the pudding. I mean, I guess you could say Aaron Judge has stayed consistent, which is good. Yeah, he's but the only everyone one else. out of everybody else. Blaber Torres is taking a step back. Gary Sanchez uh, taking a step back here and there. Um, you know, John Carlos Stanton has been garbage since he came to the Yankees. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, DJ LeMahieu, uh, he's he's gotten worse this year. I know he's starting to pick it up again too, but. Um, yep. You know, it's it, it, the longer Frank Frazier just would... disappeared, just disappeared, and I'm pretty sure like the this is this is me putting my tinfoil hat on. I'm pretty sure the Yankees are like keeping him away from like the team. And I'm pretty sure he's done at the deadline. Like he was like getting fitted for like contacts. Like, he was getting like fitted for like contacts like two weeks ago, and he's just like, how long does this take? How long is he having vision? Getting vision checkups, like how long does certain like stuff like that take? He's been in the IL, and, for, and like, they could have traded him a month years now. ago for value, and they were prospect hunting. That's another thing the Yankees have done for forever, mm-hmm. which has just driven me crazy. For all these mid-level prospects, like you want to, you want to keep Jason Dominguez. Sure, that makes sense. I understand that. 
if if somebody says if the if the Rangers say, hey, we'll trade you Joey Gallo for uh for uh Oswaldo Peraza or something like that, who's like the 98th best prospect in baseball or something like that. The Yankees for the past four years would say no deal to that, which makes no sense. Yep. They just prospect these uh, prospect hug these players because uh, they're because Cashman's afraid of getting burned. Yep. And he has gotten burned. I mean, look at like Sonny Gray and uh, did yeah. you just jack a grand slam? No, no he didn't. He's a fly out center. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about Speedy. This is, uh, that's yeah. great. I was just going to yep. say that. I was like, all right, I Let's think you transition. guys – that was that felt cathartic for you guys. I felt like that was good. Oh, yeah. you, you needed to get that off your chest. Um, My therapy sessions. And it's good that for me, from just like observing Yankee fans, that's kind of like part of my my way of uh, ass- like assessing the team, right? Because obviously, I watch way more Mets games than I do Yankee games. Like they play mostly at the same time, so I don't watch a ton of Yankee games. Um, following how you guys are reacting is kind of how I get a gauge on your team and you guys are playing better and you still feel this way, which makes me feel good about how you guys have spoken throughout the entire season. Cause it's consistent. You guys have been frustrated from the beginning, no matter if you won eight out of 11 or you lost eight out of 11, you guys are identifying the problems and trying to see where the changes are going to come. The changes are not coming. Now there's a chance they make some moves at the deadline that make you guys happy and give you guys a boost into the second half of the season. And uh, that'll be exciting because, let's be honest, we want the Yankees in the playoffs if you're a baseball fan. Whether if you want to see them lose or you want to see them win, we want them there. It's just better. It just is what it is. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. the New York Mets. I mean, I mentioned it in our little baseball open here. Pitching, fantastic. All year. Hitting, trash. All year. Now they're putting up eight runs regularly, and they're giving up nine. It's just like... It's Murphy's Law with the New York Mets, and I was ready to do a podcast on what was the night they went to extras. They ended up winning 15-10. Edwin Diaz yep. blew his third out of fourth save, and I was going to record. It was like 11 o'clock. I was like, all right, I'm going to go solo tonight. I'm going to record this episode, and then Diaz blows. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going to do a classic Mets segment. I'm going to talk about all this stuff, and then they come back, and they win. They score five runs. The game ends at freaking 12.30 at night, and I fell asleep on the couch. So I didn't do the pod. But here we are now. Yeah. It, it's just unbelievable, though, when you think about this Mets team. The talent from the hitting perspective has been there all year. It's finally starting to turn around, and the pitching falls apart. It, it, is this a organizational or roster issue completely here? Is it perhaps maybe the coaching-type situation that you guys are complaining about with Boone, with Luis Rojas? I think Rojas has made strides in eyes of Mets fans. But it's hard to pinpoint why things like this always happen to this team. Can you guys shed any light as to why they keep putting themselves in these holes? Are they just not as good as we hope they are? Well, well, what happened was it's, it's the injuries. Well, all their hitters were injured and their pitching was healthy. And now their rotation, their depth chart right now is Stroman, McGill, and Walker. That's it. They only have three pitchers on their starting rotation depth chart at the moment, you know, and then just a bunch of guys in the bullpen. So like, yeah, I I think it totally makes sense. And you have a basically a fully healthy roster uh, starting lineup here. That they well, basically Lind- have Lindor, your opening Lindor day out right now, outside yeah. of Lindor. So it makes sense that the offense is going. We knew the the off, the Mets had a top five offense in baseball the last two years. So it makes sense that the you know they're going to turn it around as they gotten healthy. You know, uh, Pete Alonso off of just absolutely crushing it in the home run derby. Just he's picked up right where he's left off. You know, Don Smith has shown some power. J.D. Davis is healthy. He's hitting. 
Um, Brandon Nimmo's doing doing his thing at 418 on base percentage. He got a little sneaky of a uh, uh, slugging percentage is uh, 421, which is the, I think the highest of his career so far. So like, I think Fordo had that clutch home run. Um, you know, he's been uh, struggling a little bit, but the on base percentage is still pretty good. And he had that uh, that clutch home run. I think it was it what was that against Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, Pete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. The offense is fine. The offense, it's because of, it's the injury. I point to the injuries more than any kind of managerial philosophy because Rojas was able to get the most out of his, out of his players when, you know, when all those injuries happened. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see this as a one-to-one. I know the Yankees and the Mets are, you know, similar teams in that regard, but I don't see it as a one-to-one that way. The, they're absolutely ravished by injuries right now. Carrasco, DeGrom, Lucchese, uh, Peterson, Stork, Syndergaard, Yamamoto, uh, Batanzas, Gesellman, Tommy Hunter, Oswalt. Oh my God. All guys, all useful, useful to almost necessary pitchers. They're all on the IL. Right. So, you know. And then right like, when we I, need that's, Lugo that's and Diaz a, most, they fall apart. Yeah. Lugo. And that's a, you know, that's, you know, it's not even like you can't even say, oh, they didn't have the organizational depth. They had the depth. They just ran through the depth of uh, just a, an insane amount of injuries. So it just the, the injury bug has bitten them to such a degree where, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of just hoping and praying and you're just waiting for the deadline to come. And hopefully that, uh, you know, Cohen has said he's comfortable going over the luxury tax in the right situation. They hope that it can make those big splashes. And, um, you know, hopefully you don't have to gut the farm system to, you know, I, I you know, I, I, we talked about how the Yankees, if they do make a move, it's going to be more based towards 2022. They're not going to just get pure rentals because mostly there's, you know, this team's not good enough for <clears throat> to be spending prospect, uh, you know, capital on just on rentals. You want to make sure these guys are around for 2022 for the Mets. Um, you know, as long as you're not trading away Alvarez, uh, their top catching prospect, you know, if you're going to pick up guys that are going to be free agent for the Cubs anyway, the Kimbrels and the Bryants and, you know, you don't have to give up too too much for 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 those type of guys i feel like those are the the exact kind of moves the mets need to make is just making those you know trying to kind of go all in on 2021 and then figure out uh 2022 as the offseason comes yeah i i think i agree i kind of needed to hear that because it's been frustrating because yeah obviously the injuries are playing a part but it's like lugo comes back he looks good and then when we literally need him and diaz most when everybody else is banged up and we're now reliant on this bullpen, that's been pretty damn good this season. Yeah. They literally fall apart and giving up six runs in the seventh, eighth and ninth is becoming a norm. I mean, granted they won seven Oh, uh, in their, in their game today while we're recording yesterday when this came out. But before that, I was talking about that 15, 10, uh, extra inning victory. The amount of times I had zero confidence in that game. There was four different innings from the seventh through the 11th where I was like, I have zero confidence this is going to work out. And Diaz is back to the point after a really, really, really solid start or solid first half. It's not just a start. He was doing well. And now he has no confidence again. And he came post, in and post walked. Sticky, post sticky stuff is not, I think, I think he has the same problem that Chapman has. Like Chapman, I'm sure he used the sticky stuff to not to get spin because he didn't have a declined spin rate. And as far as I know, Diaz didn't have a declined spin rate either, but um they use it for control they use it to try to try to you know pinpoint have that pinpoint accuracy and you know it's taken chapman a, a while to to kind of find his groove um 
and I, I assume it's the same thing with Diaz is, you know, he has the stuff, the stuff hasn't, you know, decreased post the uh, stinky stuff ban, but his could control is just all, he's so wild. He threw, so he threw, I assume it's like, I assume that's affecting him as much as it's affecting Chapman. He threw nine balls in a row the other day. He walked yep. the first batter on four pitches and then the catcher for the Reds break, break heart or something like that. I forget his name. Yeah. Even. He, he swung at three balls in a row and struck out. And I was like, wow, guy might've just saved the game for us swinging at three balls in a row. Mm-hmm. Diaz can't throw a strike. And then he ended up giving uh, up a big double to Winkler and, and the game went into extras. Um, yeah. It's, it's Diaz had, Diaz had problem throwing strikes with the sticky stuff, you know, in the, the right. last couple of years, he's always been, he's always <laughs> right. had those bouts with being wild. So like, imagine if like non sticky stuff, that's, it's, it's a scary thought. And that's why they need, um, you know, uh, along with rotation help, they definitely need uh, at least a, a big bullpen piece to kind of put everybody else down at peg because, you know, Trevor May has probably been May and loop have probably been their best relievers all year. Um, and, you know, I think you feel pretty comfortable with those guys, but um, you know, I don't they, they think you want to continue to put Diaz and Lugo in those spots if they're not um, ready and the division is too tight for them to keep running those guys out there in high leverage spots. Yeah. All right, Alec. Give me, give me something here. Ready for this question? I know you're going to love it. Go for it. All things start, say they break right for the Mets, right? They get healthy. The bats stay alive. Is there a ceiling that is better than just making the playoffs for the Mets? Like, can they make a run if things go like, I'm, I'm saying like best case scenario, is there a route yeah. for them to be a contender in the, in the a national league, not a championship world series contender, but a national league true player if things break right because I feel like there's hesitance from Mets fans and people like you who are not Mets fans alike saying I don't see that ever happening anyway even if they're healthy and and right they're still not top-notch I don't know um I mean who would they potentially match up with right so I they're they're a division winner right but uh, if they do when I don't think that they really have a shot to be a wild card right because the uh the the Dodgers and the uh um, yeah, the NL West the, locked the in, has locked down those spots, and the Giants. Yeah, the Giants are winning the division yeah. right now. No, I, no, I'm saying for the wild card spots, the Dodgers yeah. and the Padres. Yeah. So, um, I mean, they who who can they beat? I mean, I, I don't I don't think they beat anybody in the West. I maybe, don't think maybe they, maybe feel good about the or feel okay about the Brewers, perhaps. But that's I guess. But they're on fire. They're they're playing so well right ever since they traded for Adamas. They've been playing so well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I think the Mets – I think it's a good season if the Mets win the division. I don't think it's a failure. And I don't think it's a failure if they get swept in the first round. I, 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 I really don't. But I just don't see them being a better team than – even their rotation. I think their rotation is pretty fraudulent outside of, obviously, DeGrom. I mean, I like Tywan Walker. He's starting to come down to earth a little bit. Um, I, I don't think Marcus Stroman is that good of a pitcher. I've always felt that way. I, I think that – um, you know, he's like a, a good three or four really uh, starting pitcher. So, I mean, their offense is great. And, and I, I don't believe in the old adage that, you know, pitching wins championships. I think you need to be an offensive team to win a World Series uh, currently. But outside of DeGrom, is there anybody there in that rotation that would make you think, even if they're all healthy, they would be like, yeah, this rotation is better than all the other rotations that they would have to face in the playoffs? Uh, I, don't I, think, I think if you – if you if you're if you're if you're talking about pure best case scenario that you're talking about Carrasco and Syndergaard coming back and being 
not what even, they not, were previously. Not going to count Syndergaard, but Carrasco, that's, that's, maybe. I can't count either of them. That's like, I mean, you you of all people, I'm surprised would say that because of uh, whatever we have well, to hear about this Severino. Was, this, was the, this, was the, this was the hypothetical. You, you said hypothetical best that's, case scenario. That's, that's true. This, it, that was your, that was the I, question. In sure, my hypothetical, sure. in my head, I wasn't even counting them because they haven't played yet. That's you know I don't what I mean. You can count. I don't think you can count on Syndergaard, or, and I understand you know, it's a it's a hypothetical situation. But I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we don't expect much out of. No, Carrasco I don't. I don't some... think. I I don't think you. I don't think the plan is to count on them to be, you know, to Syndergaard to just automatically go in and be that number <laughs> two starter and Carrasco to come in and just light the world on fire. But I think them being, if you go out and you get a true number two pitcher to go after the, I think your best case scenario here is your, you know, the Mets go out and get a Jose Barrios doesn't a Barrios type doesn't have to be him. A true number two pitcher to slide behind DeGrom. And then you have uh Carrasco and Syndergaard as your three and four. I think I, I, you know, out the Dodgers uh, losing, um, you know, uh, Kershaw to injury. Uh, not sure, uh, you know, when he's going to be back. I think it was like a shoulder strain, you know, whatever's happening with uh, Bauer, um, you know, don't need to go into all of that. You know, they, who's in, who's in their rotation right now. It's Tony Gonsolin and Jose Urias. You know, there's a, there's a reason why they're, they're losing the, they're not winning the NL central right now. Um, so I think the Mets, if you have a healthy Mets rotation and they go out and get a, a number two type starter, it's crazy that you didn't mention Walker Bueller, by the way. Outrageous. Oh, sorry, I I totally forgot Walker Bueller. So it's it's Bueller. Um, I don't is he is he having a decent year, Bueller? Because I feel yeah, like he's, having, he was, he's having an awesome year. I can pull yeah. up the stats for you right now. Okay. Yeah. So I, again, outside of if uh, outside of um, that, if if the Mets can get a, a solid number two starter behind Degrom. I, I think that's a that's a pretty good. I think their rotation stacks up against anybody in the National League at the moment. Yeah, I, I think uh, Walker Bueller stats two three seven ERA, point nine one ten wins, yeah. okay. and one hundred twenty two okay. Ks. I don't yeah. have his advanced analytics, but uh, I just have that stuff. He's been very good. Uh, I think the yeah, only yeah, almost a four. Holy shit! A four. Oh, he's almost had four warries uh, already. That's like half of his career war is like this season. Yeah. That's pretty good. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him Bueller. And, and I mean, I don't, from what I understand, Kershaw is not like, wor- nobody's worried about him being out of the season, right? Like, yeah, it's no. just a, yeah. So you get Kershaw back and you have Urias as your three man uh, rotation. That's a really good rotation still. Yeah. Well, even without power. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the only route for them to, to make a splash is the offense stays very live. And gets better and healthier. I think that's really the route. And that's the route we thought would be at the beginning of the season. And we were given false hope with the opposite. We were saying this pitching is awesome. The hitting comes around and we're actually a a top tier team in the league like we thought we might be. And now it's all kind of coming down despite the offense coming back to life or coming to life for the first time. And, And it's just tough to really see all those things breaking correctly. And when my head was thinking about that stuff. I wasn't even remotely considering Carrasco and Syndergaard. When I was talking about the injuries, I was talking about the guys who have played this year and are now injured because talking about two guys who haven't even thrown a pitch yet, that's tough. It literally didn't even cross my mind. When you brought up Carrasco well, and Syndergaard. Well, Carrasco's on a, on a rehab assignment, right? He's no, in, I know. Um, oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he'll, he'll be up like in next week. So. Right. 
there's your there's your shot in the arm right there. Hopefully, you know, and he, he was throwing like ninety. I think he was hitting like ninety four, ninety five in his rehab start. So like, I think he's. I think they took it uh, took it slow with him and to make sure that he's going to be a, a piece for them to to come back. They didn't rush him back because you know outside of um, you know until this this recent rash of injuries, they didn't really have a reason to bring him back. You know, because the pitching was was so good so far. Right. So he should be a shot in the arm for them. Um, again, Syndergaard's really the wild card, and, and whatever they do at the deadline, um, yeah. is I think is going to be the real key factor for what happens with the Mets season. If they if they get a, a real number two starter, then you know, uh, call me call me optimistic. Uh, you know, and I'm always usually high on the Mets, especially because of the offense, but uh, offensive potential that they have and the guys that they do have there. Um, I, I, I think that I think that makes them a real contender. It really depends on what they do at the deadline. If you get a Chris Bryant, if you go get a Craig Kimball, if you go get a number two star, I mean, that's a lot of gets, you know, but if you make a, a, a decent splash, um, I, I don't see why you wouldn't consider them, uh, you know, one of the teams you expect to be there in the, at the NLCS at the, at the minimum. So you're saying there's a chance. Yes. And Alex yes, saying no. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, yeah, I'm with I'm with both of you guys, really. So I guess we'll see in a couple weeks what this team looks like. And I just got to say one last thing. It's time to stop sitting Dom Smith against lefties. Can we look at the numbers yeah, here? Please. Can we look at the numbers? He might be better against lefties than righties right now. Come on now. Let's get Dom Smith in the lineup every freaking day. I thought we figured that out already, especially now that he's been really, really good lately. That's just, it is what it is. Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo, every day, no matter what, scheduled rest day aside, they just need to be there. They are, they are it right now. Yeah. Um, if the Mets are going to win games, they need, they, you know, they need to be bludgeoning people. They need to be do, get winning those eight, seven games at the moment and resting Dom Smith against lefties. Yeah. I think you have to be trotting out your A lineup um, as much as you can, even though uh, Pilar has been, you know, it's been pretty good substitute for them. Um, you know, getting some clutch hits here and there, but uh, you know, if push comes to shove, you want you know, Nimmo, Alonzo, McNeil, Smith, Davis, Conforto, McCann, and then you know, whoever they put at shortstop while uh, Lindor's out in. Did what was the um, the prognosis on Lindor, by the way? Is it is this a uh, it's, it was an oblique strain, but did they say how long was it like a big was it a significant uh, tear in the oblique or um, what, what what was it? Uh, he's, I actually don't know, but he's only on the 10 day. Uh, okay. so I'm assuming they're, they're hopeful at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I, don't, okay. I don't have it, but, uh, you know, I think that wraps it up. I think that just about does it. We'll be back soon to talk more of this, obviously. And as each week goes by, when is the, uh, the deadline again? 31st. Uh, so we right. can, we can, we can do the deadline, uh, special this time, same time, same bad time, same bad channel next week. Yeah, we might have to combo he, this with some NBA draft talk, but uh, we're going to obviously. Say, he would never, he would never prioritize baseball over basketball. Well, <laughs> you know, the NBA draft is kind of like my my baby. You know, I can't, I can't neglect an NBA draft here. You know, we what just day gotta, is the draft? We just got to do both. Um, today it's Thursday. Oof. Yeah, might so, have to do a might have to do an NBA draft on the twenty eighth, and we can do the podcast on like the thirtieth. Right? We might have to do a, like a Friday podcast. Oh. Or, you know, we can do a recap of the deadline, perhaps, on yeah. the flip side. 
You know, we, we'll figure it out. Exciting we'll, times in sports, we'll, man. Exciting we'll times in sports. Yes. Think of where we were last year during this during this time. We no were sports around. We were just starting to talk about sports again this time last year. It's yep. a perfect way yep. to end this again. This is just a big thank you to everyone who's listened to this podcast over the past year. A big thank you to my guys, Alec Argento, Andrew Colagna. One more time for Kyle Anderson, John Lucas Duffy, Frank Villani, Andrew Duffy, Pat Boyle, Rocco Del Puri, Chris Mule, all these guys who have been on Subway Sports Talk over the past year. Uh, just shout out to them and shout out to you guys for keep clicking on it and listening as the episodes uh, roll out every week. And this is really just the beginning. We got the true schedule of sports back. We had this wonky ass year last year where the NBA finals baseball and football were kind of like all going on at once. We, we thought it was exciting. It was overwhelming. In, in reality, it was hard to follow yeah. baseball and basketball while football still rules the world. So this year we'll have a real schedule where football will be back, obviously in full swing, 17 games and all we'll talk about Daniel Jones and the giants and the Jets and their new coach, Robert Sala and Zach Wilson. I'm freaking giddy about football. I actually have been listening. I've turned on a few NFL podcasts in the past couple days to start wetting the palate there. So we're getting excited. Subway Sports Talk, y'all. This has been great. What just happened? The Yankees just hit a home run or something? No, pick they uh, chat, pick off. Pick off. Uh, Chapman just picked somebody off. So it was a big out. I saw simultaneous fist bumps out of Alec and Andrew in the <laughs> Zoom right there. Fist bumps from me. To you guys listening, thank you so much. Stay tuned for more Subway Sports Talk as the year rolls on. Cheers. See you guys. Love you all.